Hello and welcome to Charlottetober, a most irregular podcast. Uh, coming to you in November because I buggered up my schedule. If you remember from last episode, I spoke to Jackson Eflin from A Study in Granada. And this episode I'm speaking to Mike Knoll, who's the other wing of that whole enterprise. Hello, Mike. Hello. I was very excited to do this and then imagine my surprise when yesterday I listened to Jackson's episode and it turns out <laughs> I'm here to answer for um, wrong thought. That's for later. Okay. No, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> well, uh, thank thank you for uh, coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, so similarly, what we did, what I did with Jackson, uh, I asked you to compile sort of a list of your favorite Sherlock Holmes things. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, I should uh, reiterate: Mike and Jackson do the Study in Granada podcast, which is about the uh, Granada Television Sherlock. I should have got you to do this. Really, I should. You know, I, I don't know why I'm explaining it like you couldn't do it better. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I can if you want. Yeah. Talk about the other podcasts that you do. So uh, Jackson and I are on a study in Granada where we watch the 1980s Granada television series of the Sherlock Holmes adventures uh, starring Jeremy Brett and David Burke and then later Edward Hardwick as Dr. John Watson. I, I joke in season two that we're, we've just finished recording that I hoodwinked Jackson into doing this show with me. Um <laughs> Because mostly it was the way I could get Jackson to actually watch the Granada series <laughs> without just hounding them, uh, which is always the, the surest way to not get them to do something. So, but no, it, it's been a lot of fun. We, like I said, we just finished season two. It won't air for some time. Uh, some time we're just releasing, I think, like halfway through season one this week. So, uh, and then I'm also on a show called The Equalizers with my friend Madison Jones, where we take. Movies that never got sequels or prequels, either because they're very good and they don't need one, or they're very bad and they don't deserve one, and we give them to them. Um, as of now, I think definitely our Halloween episode of Hocus Pocus Two is up. <laughs> uh, we have Small Soldiers Two, Space Jam Two, Hook Two. We're, we're kind of across the board on films. I've had the Equalizers in my orbit for a while, and I've been saving it because um, uh, it's my birthday in a few weeks, and I'm just going <laughs> to take the entire week off and just shove a load of media into my head and i've decided i'm just gonna I, I like i like binging podcasts so i like finding podcasts with lots of episodes so that's what i'm gonna do with the equalizers i will just say that in a world where we have had inflicted on us terms like sidequel or midquel oh, i do Lord. appreciate equal with the e that's a much more elegant solution i think it, it came to me one day i was driving home from hanging out with madison <laughs> and we wanted to do a podcast and the idea hit me of equal sounds like the word equal with an a u a l and so we decided on the equalizers i think the the first time i heard the word midquel i did sort of shrivel up inside slightly yeah i i kind of died a little bit when you said <laughs> it this time i'd never heard it before <laughs> and i said it twice i feel bad now it's all right <laughs> as i mentioned last episode a study in granada is my new favorite podcast i'm the equalizers is coming up i completely understand sort of the process that you went through to get jackson to watch Mm -hmm. granada sherlock holmes because i do a podcast with my friend christy called the wreckers which is literally just about that it's us forcing each other to view or read media Mm -hmm. (laughs) i know this thing you'd like and now you have to read it or watch it or whatever because we do a show about it so i don't know what it is but if you know if you if there's a tv show or a book or a game or anything that you really want your friend to read but they're resistant to it do a podcast Mm -hmm. with them then they have to so we're gonna do a matlock podcast right (laughs) right this is another thing in the course of conversations in direct messages on twitter 
Mike mentioned Matlock, which I the my only frame of reference for Matlock is that it's Grandpa Simpson's favorite TV show on The Simpsons, and I thought it was made up, like itchy and scratchy. You know, I thought no, it was uh, like a show within a show. No, it was a 1980s. Yeah, it was a 1980s um, kind of Perry Mason style lawyer show starring Andy Griffith as Benjamin Matlock. I don't know who that is. And you don't know who Andy Griffith is? No. Okay, I figured that was one of those like the Andy <laughs> Griffith show is like a American staple of the time. So I'm... just telling me he had a show does nothing. <laughs> I, no, I just assumed that was one of those things that transferred like. That in England, people at least knew who like the who Andy Griffith was. I mean, I mean, people probably do. I mean, I I live under fair. a rock, so you know. I I was raised on TV Land, so it <laughs> it balances out. I I liked the Golden Girls when I was a kid, and Cheers. I had that going for me. Um, go. I'm guessing the Andy Griffith show was older than that. Yeah, it was black and white. Mostly. Oh, that's that's some Howdy Doody bullshit. How am I supposed to know what that is? I don't know. It's it's just a weird old gosh gee whiz americana that i thought maybe it was i don't i don't have an argument for this i didn't expect this to be a, a hill i had to die on <laughs> it's kind of weird like what we did and didn't get in the uk because like i can't remember who i mean this is gonna sound this is gonna sound bad but i can't remember who it is but there was a u.s talk show host who vacationed in england mm-hmm. and couldn't handle not being famous because like nobody knew who he was because his show wasn't broadcast in in britain uh so he like arranged it so that his show would get like exported at like a reduced rate or like maybe even for free i don't know it's like just so that people would know who he was when he came to britain it's like that's i mean that's a bit i mean do what you want but i guess i should (laughs) i guess i shouldn't be terribly surprised like i'm a huge fan of pointless the uh, game show (laughs) Right, that is not that is not something I was expecting to get oh, no, I've, dropped. Yeah, but and every time I watch it, because there's a bunch of episodes on YouTube, I'm always surprised when I'm like, oh, everyone will know who Harrison Ford is. That'll be a high point, and it's like seven points. And I'm just, who? How does how does no one know who Indiana Jones is? Like that's bullshit. We the Andy Griffith show may have passed us by. I promise you, we did get Star Wars, and you know. Oh, I no, I know, Indiana but I mean. Jones. I'm not just making that up. There was an episode where like Indiana Jones only scored like eight points and I was just my mind. So I guess I shouldn't be terribly surprised that like things that I think transfer don't actually transfer. Thing like I've been on the internet for many years and, you know, talking to people in North America for a lot of that. And it does come up sometimes where they name drop someone and it's like, I don't know who that is. It's like, but like the same, you know, but like the same is true of like most Americans I know don't know who Les Dawson is. I recognize the name. But exactly. I, I couldn't try to tell you, you anything know, about them. See, I could, tr- I could kind of understand that because you watch Pointless, which you know, I'm. Oh, I watch I'm Brit- all kinds. Of, I watch so much British TV. It's, <laughs> I watch more British TV on like YouTube and stuff than I do American TV. Wow, you're like a weeb, but for the UK. Yeah. That's, <laughs> wow. You somehow just peered straight into my soul. Anyway, um, to slightly sort of not turn this into an intervention, um. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to your your top five Sherlock Holmes uh-huh. things, briefly or at great length, mm-hmm. go into sort of your history with Sherlock Holmes as a character. Sure. My dad was a big Sherlock Holmes fan, and I meant to ask him before we recorded. I want to say why. My dad's not much of a reader, and I don't mean that like in a bad way, but he was just, he liked Sherlock Holmes. He liked the stories. Um, he liked the Granada series, which they showed on PBS in the U.S., 
And so we would watch the Granada series like as a family. Um, I mentioned in our upcoming episode, The Crooked Man, that being my like Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who hiding behind the couch thing of like the um, um, Colonel Henry Barclay. No, not Bar- no, Wood. Colonel Henry Wood kind of coming into the parlor room with the crack of lightning and he's disfigured and bent over, like actually like spooked me as a kid. So mine for the one that for me was the Sussex vampire or, yeah, or I, the last vampire. I think they said, cause yeah, he, you know, there is a bit in that where he turns around and he's got like a fang. And it, I was like six. And it freaked <laughs> me the fuck out. Yeah. You and um, I think Christy mentioned the Sussex vampire. And I know in the, in Granada, it's called the last vampire just from looking through the episode lists in preparation for this podcast. Because who's who's heard of Sussex, really? I mean, I have. I couldn't point to it on a map, so good call, Granada. But the weird thing is, and maybe one reason that you and I apparently have so many um, different opinions on Holmes, is that the only actual book we had was this collection, and it was the like Sherlock Holmes Mysteries New Expanded Edition, and it only had 22 of the stories in it. And I looked it up today. I found the book online, and the um, the table of contents is, and these aren't in the correct order, but The Speckled Band, A Scandal in Bohemia, The Red-Headed League, The Blue Carbuncle, The Naval Treaty, The Final Problem, The Dancing Men, The Copper Beaches, The Crooked Man, The Resident Patient, The Greek Interpreter, the Norwood Builder, The Solitary Cyclist, The Empty House, The Five Orange Pips, The Boscombe Valley Mystery, The Six Napoleons, The Priory School, The Musgrave Ritual, The Man with the Twisted Lip, The Second Stain, and The Abbey Grange. And so, like, I, I very particularly and specifically say in Studying Granada, I'm a fan, not an expert, because I know there are huge gaps in my knowledge, but, like, the stuff I know about, I know about, because I read yeah. those 22 stories ad nauseum. <laughs> I watched... The, at least the first two series of Granada, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and The Return of Sherlock Holmes, a lot. Beyond that, I get a little foggier on the show. But For, From the sound of it, those are just like the good ones. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's literally like a greatest hits. They say they're like some of his <laughs> most exciting adventures or at his be- Holmes at his best or whatever. So I mean, it's like lots of, you know, most people could probably quote Hamlet or Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Not many people would probably be able to quote like Timon of Athens or... <laughs> Right. Troilus and Cressida. I mean, I could, because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> At times, I'll say to Jackson, like, uh, the second stain is coming up in season three, and I'm like, oh, that's one that, like, people know about. Like, that's a classic Holmes story. Even if, like, maybe the mystery is vaguely, not vaguely, it is fairly similar to the Naval Treaty. The second stain, if you say that in, like, Holmes circles, people are like, oh, yeah, the second stain. Like, that's one that people know about. Like, but, so that's most of my history, really. Sherlock Holmes, like, fandom or readership or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. i think there is a lot of like i think people sort of hedge their bets lately because i think there's a lot of J- jackson used a good quote in the previous episode mm-hmm. talking about Holmes, which i think is also applies which is that Holmes has approximate knowledge of many things and i think mm-hmm. in terms of some, something like sherlock holmes where it's like you're gonna have people who do know every single detail but then most people normal people would probably just vaguely remember bits They'd have, like, favorite stories, and they'd know references from other things, but they don't have, like, the encyclopedic sort of academic mm-hmm. knowledge. Story Holmes has, like, his index where he cuts out things about people to keep, like, for reference, and he's got, you know, books and reference sets. And, I mean, he, Dr. Watson is there, and a lot of times on Mysteries, does the medical stuff because he's a doctor. Like, Holmes isn't an expert in medicine, 
I mean, he's, you know, knowledgeable. He has some approximate knowledge, but when it comes down to like, sometimes like checking the body and stuff, he leaves that to Watson, who is the trained doctor. Holmes and Watson famously meet in the chemistry lab of St. Bart's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And it was a few years that I, sort of a few years after the first time I read a study in Scarlet, or to be more accurate, read the start of a study in Scarlet. And as soon as it started on the Mormon stuff, I was like, uh, I, I checked out, I read Hand of the Baskervilles again. But when I went back and read it, it's like, do you think he's meant to be there? Like, does does anyone from the hospital administration know that Sherlock Holmes is there? Or has he just like, I need to use a chemistry, I, like, I need access to greater chemistry resources than I have. I'll just get a lab coat and go in a hospital. I've never read A Study in Scarlet, mostly because, like I said, that was the the book we had, didn't have that in it. And then as I got older... You ain't missing nothing. Yeah, I I would maybe do it for completion. But I know that in many, at least later tellings, Holmes is like horsewhipping a corpse to test out bruising after death. Is that not Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. And... that's a thing he does. Okay. Because <laughs> I know like the uh, one of the things I have on my list references that and... Uh, I know that like BBC Sherlock, which was maybe like the the mo- most modern thing about Holmes that I've kind of gotten into at, at the time. I have cooled on it considerably, but at the time I was, you know, I it was new and it was hip and it was Sherlock Holmes. And I was interested. Uh, he's horse whipping a body as well, so I didn't know if that was a more current kind of trend. I mean, there's I think there's one point where he like harpoons some pig carcasses <laughs> to check like arterial spray and stuff. Um, which I'm pretty, I think is in... As you do. I can't remember if that is actually in a Sherlock Holmes story, but it sounds like the kind of thing that would be. Yeah, no, I... So... That's that's always my... Any adaptation, even if I don't like it, my favorite thing is always when Watson goes to the fridge or Mrs. Hudson goes to the (laughs) fridge and they open it and it's just like a jar of eyeballs. Or there's some, like, grotesque medical thing in the fridge and Holmes is like, oh, I just needed somewhere to put it. Like, I need to keep it cold. And they're, like, trying not to puke. It's kind of fortunate that Sherlock Holmes has, like, so many policemen in his, mm-hmm. like, social circle and sort of willing to vouch for him. Because by a lot of standards, the stuff he does is the, you know, is, like, the actions of a serial killer. You and Jackson, I think, brought up a point when you are talking, we touched on Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah. Uh, the Batman <laughs> movie. And I, I sent you a direct message, or I tweeted at you. After that, in all caps, is like, oh, God, Commissioner Gordon is Lestrade, isn't he? Like, um, I just realized suddenly. I, I mean, in a way. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd say Inspector Gregson, I think, is probably more like Commissioner Gordon, because Holmes has a slightly more sort of respect for him sure, than Lestrade. I'd say Lestrade is like Chief O'Hara from the 60s Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Big Oh, no. Um, Faith and Begora. The interesting thing about BBC Sherlock, because... Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that I thought it did really well, and it's a thing, it's a thing that Elementary also does, mm-hmm. is that it shows that, like, in the original books, Sherlock Holmes was very modern, mm-hmm. like, for, for the time. Like, he, you know, he's interested in, like, the telegraph. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always, like, sending and receiving telegrams and stuff. So, you know, and he's always kind of, like, up to date on, like, various, like, scientific things. So, you know, when that, that gets carried over, that's good. Mm-hmm. Not much else got carried over. No, I like. I think that they did a decent job modernizing the mysteries, like taking mysteries that had to do with Victorian times, you know, like the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and making them more like two thousands era. So this isn't a good example, I guess, of that. But like in the uh, the six Thatchers, which is the six <laughs> Napoleons, but modernized. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess it would make sense that like the touches where they kind of take 
the things from the stories and make them a more modern twist, I kind of enjoy, even if pretty much everything else around it is on fire. I will say um, Elementary did a really, really good sort of updated version of The Hound of the Baskervilles. I won't say what it is because it, it is quite significant, you know, because it's like, it's a spoiler in the episode. Sure. But the way that they, actually, come to think of it, they did two Hound of the Baskervilles episodes. Oh my God. They did one that had characters from Hound of the Baskervilles and they did a different one that had the plot of Hound of the Baskervilles. Interesting. Because I I think they just so like one of the writers must gone must have just gone like here's the hand of the basketballs one and they went okay cool take it off and then someone else or maybe the same person was like actually I've got a better idea can we can we actually do hand of the basketballs now and it's like yeah go on then huh. you know as long as long as there's a big dog then sure oh yeah that's, I mean all you need is a dog I mean in the first in the first one that elementary did there isn't a dog. There's uh, and the episode's called the Hound of the Cancer Cells because it's huh. a device that someone's invented to detect cancerous tissue in the body. It's called Hound because dogs can apparently do that. Dogs can tell when humans have cancer, so they've you know some like Henry Baskerville invented this thing that could smell cancer on people apparently, and they did that like that's quite cool and clever and it's an update. And then it's <laughs> like, but then this guy got chased through Central Park by a big monster and then he died. Whoa, Sherlock Holmes. I think that's a neat take on them is especially for like elementary where they have you know 23 episode seasons to fill yeah of <laughs> do an interesting take on the on the, one of the mysteries and then just kind of like do the mystery straight later like in a different episode like that for example like oh here's a fun modern take on hound of the baskerville and then next like oh no this guy's being chased by a big dog i don't know if they got like a budget increase between seasons be, yeah. and they were like do you know we actually do a big dog now all right then we'll do it sorry drifted kind of off course oh no it's from... fine you're Sherlock Holmes then how about that you like you pro you've yeah against? generally generally pro generally pro <laughs> Sherlock Holmes I is this where we get into my list yeah go on all right so um I have I have definitely a book because I know that that's the that's always where you start is somebody brings in a book and this book is called Warlock Holmes by G.S. Dennings and the premise is basically Dr. Watson comes to room with a man named Warlock Holmes, who is very odd. And basically, we know that he's magic, like he's got magic powers. And he goes then on the Sherlock Holmes adventures, but there's a magical twist to them now. Uh, the first book is called A Study in Brimstone, and that's actually the only one I've read so far. I read it, and I meant to get the second one when it came out, and then I forgot, and now there's two new books out that. I haven't gotten to yet. That's, that's always terrible when that happens, where you're like, oh, yeah. I should get that. And then by the time you remember, there's like five books in the series. And now, now it feels like homework. I'm, I'm going to read them because I want to. I'm I rereading it for this. I I still enjoy it. Um, the second book is called The Hellhound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> and the the third book took me a little bit to figure out. Uh, I, I, could, I was like, I don't get it. It's the, <laughs> My Grave Ritual. <laughs> okay. In this one, Watson is the brains. And Holmes is very much the like Remington Steel uh, facade. Well, who also knows the magic stuff? But Watson's very much the deductive reasoner. And there's a lot of um, like, oh, surely you Holmes, you deduce that by da 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 da. He's like, oh yes, quite. Thank you. That's correct. <laughs> and like, if I may, I want to read you a couple passages from the book. Sure. Uh, this is this is literally the first like the opening of the book. The dominion of man is drawing to a close. The age of demons is upon us. This, I recognize, is largely my fault, and let me take just a moment to apologize for my part in it. I am very sorry I doomed the world. Really, just absolutely horribly sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I looked up G.S. Dennings because I had an inkling about what a um, the comedy in this, what it was based off of. And sure enough, under the author profile, it lists like Monty Python, Douglas Adams, etc., etc. Um, to me, it reads very a bit of Fry and Laurie because it's a two act mostly. <laughs> yeah, I could see like. That. When they co- when they go to meet him at the hospital, he's beating a course with a cricket bat, but he's yelling like "Stay dead, stay dead, stay dead." <laughs> and then when he sees them there, he kind of like discreetly drops it and then quietly just pushes it under the table with his foot and just like and I couldn't not see Hugh Laurie, like young Hugh Laurie, doing that. Like that's a Hugh Laurie bit right there. When it works, it's great, and when it doesn't work, it's just like you kind of roll your eyes, like "All right, you're trying too hard now." Um, <laughs> But one that I really like is um, he's doing – it's in this first kind of novella, A Study in Brimstone, because uh, the, the adventures in this book are um, A Study in Brimstone, The Adventure of the Resident Sacrifice, huh. The Case of the Cardboard Case, The Adventure <laughs> of the Yellow Bastard, The Adventure <laughs> of the Eckled And is an underline where speckled and um, B for band should be. Oh. Uh, I won't tell you what it actually is because that's a spoiler and it's it's pretty fun. And then Charles Augustus Milverton, Soulbinder. Uh, and <laughs> the magic yeah. in it's pretty neat. And so in this bit, in A Study in Brimstone, uh, he's he's trying to do the, ah, you see, but you do not observe, Watson. And he says, but he continued, un- and I'm I'm going to do a slight British accent for Watson just to differentiate when he's talking because there's a, like a quick back and forth here. And I don't want it to be like, Oh, I say hello. Like I'm just, uh, but just very slight to differentiate. But we do talk like that. That you know, that's a, that's not I, an unfair representation. I know Americans coming on to like talking to British people, like, oh, I do a great British accent is always shitty. So, I, but uh, like I said, I'm just gonna do this very slight to differentiate. With which one we have so many, like, yeah. you know, we we have more accents per like square mile. Because, like, I was reading a thing like, linguistically. It's like there's there are fewer accents in the United States of America for like the whole of it than there are in like you know like people in the UK can ha- you can have like a disparity in accents between like two villages in the same county. Basically, but... we hate we hate everyone and we start <laughs> as close as we can. We hate the next village over and then it just expands from there. That's I mean, have you been watching the news? That's pretty much America. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a lot of it about. The story says, but he continued unabated. For example, Watson, how many times would you say you had traveled up or down the staircase from our rooms on to the street? Having been now about three weeks in his company, I estimated 50 or so. Then you have seen those steps 50 times, Watson. I wonder, have you ever observed how many there are? 17. There are, in fact, se- oh, yes, 17. <laughs> For a moment, he sunk back into his sulk, then jerked towards me with sudden vigor. He fixed me with a hideous grin, his green eyes burning, and demanded in his deeper voice, But tell me, Watson, do you know their true names? If ever you should have to call upon the power, the loyalty of those steps, what name would you call them by, mortal? I confess I cried out and shied back away towards the opposite corner of the carriage, spluttering, Ha, Holmes, really, really now, I'm not sure such a thing as steps should have names. Rogla, he shouted. I say, Grega, what? Mek, ek, fef. Ool, he continued. Holmes, are you quite all right? Rega, V, Dof, Sef, Gega, Jess, Jerg, Bede, M, Mechel, Jekyll, and Squeak. The creaky one, third from the top, I gasped. Your instinct serves you well, he said, and began to issue a slow, deep laugh. <laughs> That's great. And so, as, yeah, like I, that, like I said, when it works, it works. 
And when it doesn't work, it's just kind of like, uh, you're, you're trying way too hard, GS. The thing that it sounds like to me is, I don't know if you've ever seen it, there's a movie called Without a Clue. Without a Clue. I have not. If you like this dynamic, then I think you should definitely um, try and find it. It's um, Ben Kingsley as Dr. Watson. And he is the detective, but okay. he doesn't sort of want detection to kind of interfere with his practice as a doctor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is very Remington Steele. He created a character called Sherlock Holmes to take the credit for his cases. And then he realized that when he's out, people will be like, people were always asking him about Sherlock Holmes. So what he does is he hires a drunk down and out actor played <laughs> by Michael Caine to be Sherlock Holmes. Hijinks ensue and watches. Sure elsewhere and michael kane as this drunk out of work actor has to actually be sherlock holmes i'm probably gonna watch that tonight that sounds amazing i remember watching it as a kid it was, it's very funny like there's, there's a bit where like he comes back to 221b and he's absolutely reeling drunk and like lestrade and someone from scotland yard there and watson has to very very like quickly on the fly make up a story about Holmes posing as a drunk because he's tailing some criminal <laughs> and he had to go to like a gin palace or something <laughs> a gin and palace it, those were things we had I, I love that word that's all in Britain we had a gin epidemic there was a point in our history where gin was cheaper than beer and we all nearly almost died <laughs> that, that was the thing that I was sort of thinking of um, when I was listening to some of A Study in Granada mm-hmm are you saying that I sound like I'm a reeling drunk? No, but I was reflecting on the fact that, you know, it's more or less historical fact that most people in Victorian England were drunk and or high mm-hmm. pretty much continuously. Well, that's a thing I liked about, <laughs> I know you and um, I think Christy talked about the Holmes and Watson movie coming up with uh, Will Ferrell and <laughs> John C. Riley, And that's one of the things Ooh. that I really laughed at in the trailer was where he's like, a woman doctor? We don't need that. We have Dr. Watson. He looks very proud of it. He leans in and is like, would you like some heroin? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of the times people people would drink beer rather than water because the Mm -hmm. beer was safer. I mean, that's the whole thing that, you know, water purification in, you know, in Europe, we turned it into booze. And then in, say, like China, they would boil it and add leaves. And that's where tea comes from. So, you know, and we're just like, bung some yeast in until it makes me fall over. I know that that was a similar thing in America, especially like in farms and stuff. There would be, like, people drink a lot of beer. It was less alcoholic. So then when, like, prohibition kicked in and people just started (laughs) drinking whiskey and stuff, it was like drinking the same large quantities with exorbitantly higher alcohol content. Well, that, that, and that's how we had a gin epidemic, because yeah. gin was cheaper than beer. It was like, people's like, well, it's, you know, it's a liquid. It's clear. It's like water. We we had we had a gin epidemic. We don't, we tend not to talk about it. Sure. Um, it's kind of up there with the imperialism with things that people tend not to <laughs> want to talk about. Kind of happened at the same time, so maybe it's related, I don't know. But, <laughs> yes, um, I fully agree. <laughs> Another thing about this book i don't i don't mean to cut off the gen epidemic nope Uh, please go on this is this is all about you i feel like the book is trying to wear too many hats at times as well because not only is it watson's actually the brains behind it also there's the magic also it's a comedy i feel like it needed one less thing it didn't almost we didn't need watson being the brains behind like the actual brains it could have just been magical mysteries and still be silly like Watson being the level-headed one and Holmes being kind of the goofy warlock who knows all the magic stuff could have still worked. But I don't know, it just there's too much going on, I feel like. It feels like it sounds like it pro- it possibly would have worked better 
if it had been like a Sherlock Holmes pastiche rather than you know in you know in terms of mm-hmm. like the it wasn't Holmes and Watson but it was obviously characters that was meant to be like evocative yes, of them exactly but it's pretty good like the the with the exception of a study in Brimstone the first novella the uh you get into the mysteries and very quickly we get to like this is where the story stops and we do the magic thing so like the resident sacrifice they get to uh Blessington's house uh, because Percy Trevelyan has asked them to come in and like help him with this thing, and, and it tweaks. He's a trapeze artist and, uh, from the circus instead of a doctor. Like, like I said, that, that's one of the things where they're trying too hard <laughs> to be weird and crazy and funny. And they get there, and immediately they're like, "Oh no, it's not. It's a totally different thing." There's a thing about like this box with the con- the demon concept of time in it, and like. It's, it gets pretty wild. Like I like that they get to about halfway through the story and then basically throw away the second half of the Doyle story and do like a magic thing. <laughs> uh, that's pretty fun. So like overall, I like it and I would recommend it. I think that there is a decent amount of eye rolling and kind of like heavy sighing as you're <laughs> reading it. But by the end of it, like it, it's a fun read. Holmes and comedy is always a kind of interesting. They're always like mm-hmm. interesting bedfellows because, you know, the stories. They do have moments of humor, but they're sort of like, like wry chortle humor rather than sort of laugh out loud. But um, there are there are so I mean um, obviously like you mentioned Monty Python. Mm-hmm. One thing that I uh, sort of a precursor to Monty Python was that John Cleese was on a radio show on um, BBC Radio called "I'm Sorry I'll Read That Again," which was mm-hmm. like a sort of zany sketch show, and they did a Sherlock Holmes pastiche, and it was full of things like Holmes would ask Watson for his tobacco, and it's like, where is it? It's like it's in the toe of a Persian slipper on the mantelpiece, and then they have to leave to go and investigate a case, and he says, "Watch Watson, fetch me my socks." All right, Holmes, where are they? They're in a tobacco jar under my bed. <laughs> That's good. I've actually got uh, one of the thing. One of the books that I mentioned last episode was uh, the Improbable Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, which is a mm-hmm. an anthology, and there's a sh- very short story in that by Dominic Green called The Adventure of the Lost World, which, as you can probably tell from the title, is uh-huh. a combination of Conan Doyle's probably other most famous work, The Lost World. And I'll just read you a short passage from this. Of course. I was conducting surgery on an elderly major of rifles who had lost a leg in the Egyptian campaign, whom I was treating for scrofula of the stump, when all of a sudden I heard the ghostly, unexpected voice of my friend Holmes. I apologise for this peculiar method of gaining entry to your consulting rooms, Watson, but I must beg your company right away. I looked up behind me and all about the room, but I could see nowhere my one-time roommate and companion. I stared at the laudanum bottle I had been about to hand over to my patient. The major was otherwise disposed today, Watson, said the major. I have taken the liberty of taking his place. The streets are not safe for me to walk in my customary attire at present. But the leg, Holmes, I stammered. How did you do the leg? Ah, Watson, said Holmes in a voice of immensely pleased conceit. You have been making the assumption all the time that I have had two legs to begin with. But Holmes, I protested. I've seen you run and jump. Have you, Watson? Have you really? So, Actually, I think that story might be available to read online for free. Because um, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it was, if it still exists, the BBC website had a Sherlock Holmes portal that had some short stories available to read, which are various genres. That's that's a thing. Watching the trailer for Holmes and Watson with Wolfram or whatever, that I like, I, I keep coming back to it because I actually am kind of excited to see it because it looks like a lot of their jokes are going to be at the expense of Sherlock Holmes like tropes. The the one I bring up mostly is um, 
the mustache where have have you seen the trailer Mm, i know of it it's not all guck the bits that i did laugh at were the ones where they were kind of like poking fun at holmes tropes or at the time and so one of them they're walking down the street and john c Riley's watson is saying my friend was a master of disguise and holmes turns around with this big clearly fake ludicrous (laughs) mustache on like and watson pulls a gun and goes where what have you done with Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> Will Ferrell ba- like Holmes barely containing his glee goes but Watson he pulls out I was here the whole time and then they both just start laughing like oh good one old bean or whatever and it's like that's those are the things that I'm why I'm kind of cautiously excited for this movie is because it looks like they're going to kind of poke fun at Sherlock Holmes and at the time period like the doctor like would you like some heroin etc like <laughs> It's it's kind of the only thing you can really do to try and sort of mind Sherlock Holmes for comedy is yeah. you either play it so deadly straight that it becomes ridiculous or you'd go for the Sherlock Holmes as an idiot thing. The funniest Sherlock Holmes thing I've ever seen is a is a three man play of Hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> and it was the most hilarious thing I've seen in my life. The and the funniest thing is that the guy playing Sherlock Holmes played it absolutely straight, but uh-huh. the actor was Spanish. <laughs> and made no attempt to disguise the fact that he was Spanish, nor should he. So it's this perfectly straight Sherlock Holmes performance, but he has a very, very strong Spanish accent. Good. And at the start of the second half, they actually did a joke about they'd got a note from someone in the audience who said they couldn't understand him, and he takes umbrage with this, and he makes them do the entire first half of the play again in about seven minutes. <laughs> and I had one of those experiences where I was laughing so hard I was genuinely worried that I was going to die. Because it was just all the laughs from the first half, one after another, in rapid succession. And Good. I, you know, like when you laugh so hard, it kind of feels like your head's contract. Oh yeah, for sure. It was like that. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley kind of have some big shoes to fill. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm it's, not <laughs> expecting this to be the definitive comedy, Holmes. I'm just th- from the trailer. The bit, like, I got a couple good laughs from those bits, and so, and it looks like there's going to be, there's a whole thing where Watson wants to get a selfie with the Queen, but, like, with one of the big Victorian cameras, so he's holding the tripod, like, against his chest, <laughs> and, like, leaning in, and, like, stuff like that, where I'm like, okay, that's, a, that's, a, that's humorous, but also, like, whatever. It's like, right, now stand, now stand still for a quarter of an hour. Here's where mm-hmm. I have to sort of make a confession. I do have a copy of Warlock Holmes. Oh, uh, really? Study in Brimstone. Because um, it was one of the books that um, Becca mentioned on an episode in the oh, previous damn. years. Shall I meant to go it? back and listen to all of them to make sure, but I didn't get to it. Here's the thing. I still haven't read it. You know, well, it's, you it's yeah, I've been busy. What, what do you want? So now when I read it, it'll be on the strength of two people's recommendations. So I will say as one final point that I like that they took, the Baker Street Irregulars are rats that Holmes like commands the leader of which is a were rat child that's so many things <laughs> that part I legitimately did laugh at rereading it Moriarty's in it he's like a demon possessing Holmes they don't really get into it it's like he and Holmes did battle previously and Holmes won and has like bound Moriarty's soul inside of him or something and sometimes Moriarty like talks through Holmes's mouth to give like dire prophecies um, I wrote in my notes he's a little bit like Bob the Skull from the Dresden Files at times okay. like a, a more sinister bob the skull but i could see that but that's really it for all i have all my notes for warlock holmes it, it does okay kind of only sherlock holmes in tropes and the names it, it doesn't really follow too much of the deductive reasoning and because it's retellings of the other stories it's pretty much just like filling in the details from the other story while tweaking things here and there to be magical or funny. Uh, Lestrade <laughs> is a vampire. I remember being told that at some point. I didn't know about Gregson 
but there is an ogre named Tor Grogson who's in it as well. <laughs> wow. And they're the, the police characters in it that we run into more than a few times. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so that's one. <laughs> it's like, we've been going for nearly three quarters of an hour. Oh, and we've shoot, done one yeah. Because, okay. like, no, it's my fault. I kept doing digressions about gene epidemics. I was right there with you. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, the second one's actually a short story. It comes from a collection of short stories of three. Well, let me rephrase that. It is, it's a book called Alt Sherlock Holmes, and it's basically AU Sherlock Holmes stories. And there's three sections, and each section has multiple stories that follow a plot. And the one that I focused on is by uh, Jamie Wyman. And basically, it's, the, the stars are um, Sanford, Crash, Haas, H-A-U-S, like the German, Haas, and Jim Walker, who is a ex or Harlem Hellfighter, Army surgeon, etc. Like these are our Holmes and Watson. Uh, they use different names there. And um, Watson, sorry, Walker uh, is a rookie with the Pinkertons, and his partner goes basically to find Crash to ask for help on this case. And Holmes is the like runs a circus, a traveling circus uh, in this one, and they solve mysteries kind of around the circus and this or that. Um, it's I don't. I like it. it. It's they do. They give Holmes more, um, like he cares about the people in the circus more, and seems generally like affected by that they accept him in return. I like it because it does get into some of the stuff with Holmes. Like there's a guy who works there named Slaney, like Abe Slaney from The Dancing Men. References. I understand them. I in that book. There's another one, another like set of stories that like. Oh yes, I'm Sherlock Holmes, and we live in New London, a suburb of L.A. or whatever. And like, they've really just bend over backwards to work in as many references as they can. And this one does a good job of like the caravan car that Walker and uh, Crash sleep in. Like the front door to it is basically they needed a new door at some point in the past before the story started, and they just found one that said 221B and tacked it on. Like that's it. Like it's not. <laughs> They don't bend over backwards. It's just like, oh, we needed a door. They found one that happened to have this number on it. It's not significant. That's it. Like, Mrs. Hudson is a little person in this one, and she and Jim Walker have a romance. Cool. The story does call her a dwarf a lot. Um, more in the... That was the term they used at the time. It's not great, and I'm not, like, making excuses. Mm. They don't go out of their way to, like, be shitty about it beyond just using it a lot. That is like a, a point against it, but I don't know. I just like it because they play in the space. Like by naming them Sanford Haas and Jim Walker, they kind of like we talked about. It's more pastiche, but it frees itself from having to dig into the canon, I guess. You know that kind of thing is almost preferable sometimes because it does give you sort of greater freedom. Like you know you can say like if you were gonna, there's things that you could do if you were writing a pastiche of Superman that you couldn't do if you were actually writing Superman. Oh, yeah. It, again, it's that kind of thing. I do like the fact that his surname is House, mm -hmm. uh, although spelt differently um, from House MD, which right. is, is like, surprises me how many people don't realise it's Sherlock Holmes. Because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, it's Sherlock Holmes, but he's a doctor. And then I was I was telling my friend about it. It's like, how is it Sherlock Holmes? And it's like, his name's House. <laughs> House, Holmes, you know, wordplay. And he's like a shitty drug addict <laughs> he's not shitty because he's a drug addict he's a, he's shitty and a drug addict it's you know correlation not causation i watched like the first season of house and then just 
didn't care anymore. Yeah, I've got the first season on DVD and I watched it and it's like, yeah, I get it. So I have another one. That's that was I wanted to touch briefly on that because I like that story. I think it's it's pretty fun. And what was the title? One more time. It's by if you Google like Jamie Wyman, Sherlock Holmes, whatever circus, you'll find it. the The title of the novella that starts with it is a scandal in Hobohemia, which also isn't awesome. But and then the stories after that don't really have names. It's mostly just chapters. So just Google Jamie Wyman, W-Y-M-A-N, Sherlock Holmes Circus, and you can find it. The next thing is tentatively Sherlock Holmes related. It's more a thing that got me thinking about Sherlock Holmes differently. Uh, And it's a book called The Devil's Grin by Annalie Windeberg. And I talk about this in the Crooked Man episode that we're going to release this week. But um, it is about a, a woman who pretends to be a man so she can be a bacteriologist at a hospital. And she ends up meeting Sherlock Holmes and they do this case together. And at one point she comes back to Baker Street and meets Watson. And I didn't like the book for a while reading it because her, the Holmes in it is like mean and very dismissive, like more, more so than even in the stories. Cause Holmes can be dismissive and kind of shitty to people frequently. And this was like more mean and less like, I don't have time or need to use tact, etc. And she says this thing about like how, of course, Watson isn't going to write about this or that because they're friends and the Holmes that Watson sees is very different than the Holmes that other people might see when Watson's not around. And I don't know, I just, it was an idea there. And then rereading the stories and watching the episodes for Granada, I have picked up on stuff like that, like a, a continuing theme of that, even in the stories that like, that maybe Watson isn't a reliable narrator entirely. I wrote down a few references like in The Crooked Man where Holmes kind of chides him for withholding clues. Like things that they learn in the case of the adventure, Watson doesn't put in the story because it would maybe give away the game too early. (laughs) Uh, The Copper Beaches, he calls them meretricious and that they should have been lectures and not tales. And then I wrote down a third note, which is the Mary Russell bit from the episode you did with Jackson where you talked about how she doesn't really care for Watson's prose. (laughs) <laughs> yes but yeah i don't i just the, the book is okay i mostly put it on the list because it was the first thing that really got me thinking about like unreliable narrators and like oh yeah we maybe can't take everything that watson has to say as gospel mm. there's a um i don't know if you've ever read it but the, there's a book uh the seven percent solution by i know of it nicholas meyer that's kind of you know the whole sort of point of that is that one night holmes turns up at watson's house and he's completely <laughs> raving because he's absolutely off his box on cocaine mm-hmm. and he's sort of raving about professor moriarty and then he like goes home and then when watson tries to bring it up with him he sort of Holmes professes not to know what he's talking about and then at his consulting rooms watson gets a visit from a very small very unassuming man who introduces himself as professor james moriarty and he says hmm. my name is professor james moriarty i am a maths teacher your friend sherlock holmes is hounding me he's hanging around outside my house he's writing letters to my employer because he's got it into his head that I'm some sort of criminal mastermind. Make him stop or I'll go to the police and I'll go to the press. So Mycroft, Watson and Watson's wife, I think it's Mary Morstan, uh, they basically trick Holmes 
into going to Vienna because he thinks he's following Moriarty. But it turns mm. out what they're actually doing is taking him to see Sigmund Freud <laughs> so that they can basically <laughs> strap him to a bed and cure him of his cocaine addiction before it ruins his life. Good. Uh, hence the name 7% Solution. Solution, yeah. That's good. It refers to the solution, 7% Solution of Cocaine that Holmes would take in his lassitude. And that's really interesting, both for the fact that it's obviously, it's positing that the final problem and the adventure of the empty house were fictitious. Mm-hmm. But also, the, there are various references in it about how um, there's one footnote where Nicholas Meyer, who's the quote-unquote editor, because we're doing that thing, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this was, a, this was a manuscript that we found. Mm-hmm. He just mentions in a footnote, and it's like, it's weird how Watson never mentions any of his children in any of the books. That instantly kind of casts Watson in a new light as a narrator, where it's like, you know, if Watson had children but he never mentioned it, it's like, how important were they to him? And it's like, that's the kind of thing that gets you thinking about a character, and it's like, if you read the stories, it's like, to what extent was this, like, a manufactured narrative? Like, what was, you know, what was omitted? What was maybe sort of romanticised slightly? And Mary Marston Watson disappears between the final problem and the adventure of the empty house like when holmes comes back watson isn't married anymore she dies of illness right it's never said though is it? i thought because i looked this up because when we were covering it's not the empty house it's she disappears at some point in this in the series because for granada i was looking up um because she just like watson's like yes i ended up moving back or i had just moved back into baker street or something like that like basically he has no wife now and it's never touched upon <laughs> you know sometimes um, you have a wife and then you don't have a wife again that's um, fair. hang on i've got i've got my complete illustrated sherlock holmes let me well i did look up this on the arthur conan doyle wiki site so i don't know if your book your book might not have all the information <laughs> it's got all the stories so <laughs> um here we go. Re- Return of Sherlock Holmes. That must be it. Yeah, it doesn't mention. I mean, it start. It doesn't start off like, "Oh, by the way, my wife died." What I what I think what I think what I'm thinking of is there was a, a BBC radio Sherlock Holmes with uh, Clive Merrison and Michael Williams, and it started with the Adventure of the Empty House, and they wrote. They must have written scenes for that where Watson's wife is dying and he's sort of ministering to her. So it mm-hmm. like set it sets you know it sets the stage for like you know why Watson isn't married. It wasn't like Holmes like turns to her and goes, "Did you have a wife?" Like, yeah, she died. You know, it happens. Yeah, she trod on a nail and was dead within a week because it's the Victorian <laughs> times and we don't have tetanus jabs. She had too much gin. Um, <laughs> the idea that Watson omits things and like personal details, I would understand like his children and his wife from the stories because these are about Sherlock Holmes. And presumably people don't want to know about his kids. I just, I like that story because, or that book, just because it's the first thing that got me thinking about, like, actually interrogating the text of the stories and, like, what happens. Not just, like, Watson said this is what happened, so that's what happened. Like, um, or in the final problem, he says that at the beginning, like, I'm writing this because Moriarty's brother is making some stink. And only I know the absolute truth of this. And in our episode of The Final Problem, which will come out probably next year, um, I, I brought up the point that like Watson doesn't actually ever see anything happen. Holmes fills him in on everything that happened before the, the story starts. They go on a trip together. He sees like a train chasing the train that they just abandoned. And then he comes back to find Holmes's letter saying, hey, this is what happened. It's all wrapped up now. 
Like Watson doesn't <laughs> ever actually isn't ever privy to any facts of the case other than what Holmes has told him. Another thing that I mentioned in the previous episode is uh, Moriarty, the Hound of the mm-hmm. Durbervilles by Kim Newman. Yes. You know, like how point of view like is an important thing because the whole thing is from Moran's point of view and like he is Moriarty's Watson. So you get his you get his view of like Holmes and Watson where they you know they see Holmes as a weak drug addict and Watson as an idiot so you know that's how they're characterized in that book that book is also interesting because it um in terms of uh, also going back to Watson's inconsistencies mm-hmm. um Holmes's nemesis we know was Professor James Moriarty and it does mention his brother who is also named James also named James Moriarty so in Kim Newman's book there are three Moriarty brothers and they are all named James <laughs> One of them, one of them is a rural station master, and the other one is what I can only describe as the evil Mycroft Holmes, where Good. he has I can't remember what it's called. I think I think it's the the Zeniades Club, which is another oh um, boy, another Greek philosopher, and it's like you know supposed to be the Diogenes right. Club. Right. And the whole point of the of the Diogenes Club was that it was for men who were too antisocial to be clubbable. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. they just they just wanted somewhere where they could go and read the paper in absolute silence. Have a brandy. Eat jam roly poly and custard and, you know, smoke a cigar and drink brandy and not have to talk to anyone. The Zeniades Club is the complete opposite in that it's a club for men who are unclubbable because they're complete arseholes. <laughs> and the sort of the rule of the place is that it, you know, like quiet is forbidden. So, you know, that Moran and Moriarty like go there to see his brother, to see James, James. Moriarty's brother, James Moriarty. And the place is like, it's, it's like the, it's like the poster for Animal House. Beautiful. You know, where there's like people hanging out of windows and stuff. What's this book again? Moriarty of the uh, Durbervilles? It, it's called Moriarty by Kim Newman. I think it's just called Moriarty, but the subtitle is The Hound of the Durbervilles. As in Tess of the Durbervilles, sure. because that's who Kim Newman is as a writer. It's interesting that you brought up Moriarty, because my next thing is a, a statement I'm going to make that probably we'll end up fighting about. I think Jared Harris is my favorite Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes, The Game of Shadows, the Robert Downey Jr. movie. I haven't seen it, so okay. I, make make your case. I, I think that if I could get you a supercut of just his scenes, then it, <laughs> that would be worth it, because he plays... Jackson and I talked about this in the Final Problem episode as well. Too often, I feel like Moriarty is portrayed as the smart but, like, um, frail. Like, he he's old and smart, or he's frail and smart. Like, he's supposed to be this, like, nebbish nerd in a lot of takes, I feel like. Excluding BBC Sherlock's take, which was basically, hey, he's the Joker. <laughs> I think Jared Harris does a good job of, or, or let me let me backtrack. He's either the nebbish nerd or he's kind of a bruiser of like like a a the, the distinction I made is the difference between a crime lord and a mob boss. Mm. Like Moriarty is the spider at the center of the web, the Napoleon of crime. He never deals with like he deals with one guy. That guy deals with four guys. Each of those four guys deals with four guys. Like he is the top of the pyramid who only ever deals with like one dude. And that one dude then does everything else and like it, it branches out from there. And Jared Harris does this great job of doing that. Like he seems very refined, very smart, very much like he deals like Moran is in the, the movie. And basically that's the only person that Jared Harris is Moriarty deals with. Um, and then Moran goes off and deals with whoever else needs to be dealt with and talks to them and whatever. But there comes a point where Holmes and Watson are on their adventure and basically Holmes gets caught and Moriarty's there and he like 
interrogates Holmes and is like, but brutal about it. Like there is the sinister edge, the like, no, like this is why I'm, this is why I'm the boss. Like I, um, there's a great scene at the very end, the Reichenbach scene where, um, Holmes goes into the thing where he does in his head where he's like left jab to the, to the solar plexus followed by like, you know, where he thinks out the entire fight in slow motion. And after about a minute of that, Jared Harris goes, <laughs> Jared Harris Moriarty smiles and goes, two can play that game. And then he starts doing the same thing. Oh, and, in, and in the movie, he's a Cambridge, <laughs> he's like a Cambridge boxer, like uh, golden gloves, whatever, like excellent boxer. And it shows like Jared Harris is throwing these paymakers and it looks brutal. And I just like, I love that they threaded the needle of the Napoleon of crime, crime Lord, you know, to top it, like spider, the center of the web. But also when you like, when you meet him, he is a spider. Like he will eat you. And yeah. It's also worth pointing out that Napoleon was a soldier. Yeah. Like, Eric Porter, who is Moriarty in the Granada series, is very, like, old man professor who kind of shows up and, like, rattles his saber at Holmes, you know, get off my crime lawn, and then <laughs> kind of leaves. And I haven't really seen that many other takes. Like, I don't watch a lot of Holmes stuff in Chirac. I like, like I said, I like what I like, and I watch a lot of that. But uh, I know I know the elementary twist on Moriarty, and I haven't, I haven't seen it. it. It got spoiled for me a little bit. And so I'm interested oh, to see how that – well, it's fine. I'm not. It's been long enough that I can't be mad. Again, it, it's interesting because it's sort of sort of in terms of what they did with Hound of the Baskervilles. Right. They they introduce Moriarty and they do their take on Moriarty, and then like several seasons later, they introduce a character who isn't called Moriarty, but he is Moriarty. He's the Moriarty from the books. Right. He is the you know his like his cover is a professor. Again, they sort of play with that thing where it's like this is our take on this character, but they kind of have they kind of have two because they have someone who like in in a less in a less imaginative and that's all i'm going to say on that subject mm-hmm. but in a less imaginative version of elementary they would have this like this guy would have been the moriarty mm-hmm. i mean I, i'm trying to think of like any moriarty that's that's ever made like a big impression on me other than i mean i tend to think of the one from the book and even mm-hmm. then, I tend to think of the one from Kim Newman's book. Sure. I was just going to say that I, I'm admitting that my pool of reference is very small. Like, it's not. <laughs> I haven't. You, you've you read much more of the breadth and length of Holmes' takes and uh, than I have. Like, uh, I'm a fan, but not an expert. So yeah, su- Surprisingly few of them do use Moriarty. I think it's because it is, you know, usually a lot of the time it's... A lot of the ones that I have are Sherlock Holmes versus, like mm-hmm. um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Holmes. That's that's an interesting <laughs> one. That is basically that's like Holmes and Watson inserted into the narrative of Doctor Jekyll sure. and Mister Hyde. Or like, I've, you know, I've got Holmes versus Dracula, um, Holmes versus Phantom of the Opera. There's more of those than you'd think. By which I mean, there's two. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes versus Archie. Sherlock Holmes versus Godzilla. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh wow. Having said that, there is actually Sherlock Holmes' War of the Worlds, which is Sherlock Holmes versus the Martians. Uh, but in terms of Moriarty, in terms of like mm-hmm. portrayals of Moriarty, the only one that's ever really made an impression on me is Leo McKern in the Gene Wilder film mm-hmm. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' <laughs> Smarter Brother, which again is a comedy, which is about right. Sherlock Holmes' younger brother who says that he's a better detective than Holmes when he isn't. Right. And Leo McKern plays Moriarty in that, and he is a kind of like cartoonish supervillain. And the funny thing about him is that he actually does have a 
like he goes into like a room that's like adjacent to his like crime lab <laughs> you know the lab where he does his crime experiments mm-hmm. because he's a criminal and he goes into a room and there's like a mannequin of a priest and he like puts a sixpence in a slot and like me- organ music starts playing and he does a confession and he sort of talks about how he has like he has like an almost pathological compulsion to commit crime it's like you kind of get the impression that if he'd had his choice he would have just been a maths teacher but he talks about how he ha- he does have this like pathological addiction to committing crime like if he doesn't commit one crime every seven minutes then he starts getting headaches <laughs> and stuff he starts doing cocaine yeah but again it's like it's not exactly what you'd call a pure moriarty sure take. It's- i just i like the way jared harris does it and and the, i'm sure some of that's down to the script as well but it just it strikes me as the like he like i said i mean he's the spider at the center of the web he's the mastermind but also when you get to the center of the web there's a spider who will eat you mm. and i i'm rusty on the story of the empty room i watched the episode recently of granada doesn't in in those that episode holmes never went over the falls doesn't he in the story go over the falls he just catches himself or does that remind me because it's been ages since i read the stories i think what he does is that he chucks moriarty over the edge mm-hmm. and then stages it to look as if they both went over and right, then okay. cli- and then climbs further up the cliffs because my understanding had always been that they both went over and he like managed to catch himself on a rock or something and climbed out in this in the episode of the granada series he doesn't go over and like you say he just climbs like he stages it to look like he did uh which threw me because i always thought that they both tumbled it's like if you think about sort of just just in terms of like physics, you know the rocks would be wet and be slippery, so it'd be difficult to grab. Oh sure. The you know just in terms of like inertia, like falling and then grabbing, you know he'd, he'd like dislocate his arm or he'd just be smashed on a rock. So it probably makes more sense that he just chucks Moriarty and is like. I mean, because credulity was always Conan Doyle's uh, watchword. Exactly. And why I exactly. Like... I haven't I haven't seen a game of shadows. Is mm-hmm. that what it's called? Yes. I've seen the first one, and they do a lot of stuff. And they do like the Batman Begins thing, mm-hmm. where like at the end of the film, he's got like Commissioner Gordon's like, oh, we've got this, and it's a card with a Joker on it, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I wonder what this could be. And they kind of like set up Moriarty in the first film as like the greater scope villain. Um, so I kind of knew that was coming. I didn't. I don't really know anything about Game of Shadows. It's fun. It's not great. Like it, as Holmes, it's whatever. But it's a fun movie. Like um, if you'd asked me to imagine the Moriarty of a Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movie, mm-hmm. I'm kind of just like just picturing like Vinnie Jones, the the scene where he visits Holmes in his rooms to intimidate him. Oh, but that's my favorite. It, but it's this just like giant ex footballer in it, like a teacher's gown <laughs> and a mortarboard. He's like, Oi, Holmes, stay the fuck out of my manor, you fucking toilet. <laughs> you old geezer. Yeah. Although, actually, now now that I've said that, Vinnie Jones is in elementary. He's Sebastian Moran. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe that's why Guy Ritchie couldn't get him for Game of Shadows. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I like Jared Harris, like, when Holmes actually in a Game of Shadows, Holmes goes to Moriarty, basically, to be, because it's Watson and Mary have gotten married in the movie. And. What Holmes basically goes to them to be like, leave them out of this. Like this, this is you and me, and like asks basically asks Moriarty to leave Watson alone. He does the like Spider Man Green Goblin. Yeah, kind of. And but he goes to like Moriarty's office, and he's standing there in his like professor robes, and he looks just like this kind of short, kind of plump math professor. And like, but then later he gets like sinister, and it works. And I just I don't I, I like I just think he's my favorite Moriarty. I think he threads the needle perfectly of being the 
the kind of above everyone else crime lord. But then once you earn his wrath, he'll also fuck you up. <laughs> like, yeah. he won't pay somebody to fuck you up. Like, he that, will fuck you up. Um, that's an interesting thing in Kim Newman's book, mm-hmm. where Moran talks about Moriarty being very small and frail and sort of lizardy. Mm-hmm. But he also talks about him being almost, like, supernaturally strong. Sure. Like, there's, a, there's a scene where, like, Mo- like Moriarty's doing something, and moran tries to like pick up the thing that he's working on and moriarty like grips his wrist in such a way that he loses like all the feeling in his arm so you know it's again it's kind of supposed to be like holmes with like his martial arts it's like moriarty's Mm -hmm. like is like acupressure but uh... but but evil (laughs) yeah and i I don't mean to say that like physically if if they portrayed moriarty as like small or nebbish that's wrong because i know like in the story he's supposed to be a sort of thinner like tall thin man and jared harris is a little shorter and kind of rounder which is fine and there's nothing wrong i just they usually when they go with small frail guys they usually then end up playing him as like nebbish and i don't know but yeah he's a bit kind of like mumra from thundercats (laughs) but the old granddad version of mumra not the beef one it's interesting the martial arts thing is interesting because holmes does martial arts and that's that was the sort of I think the selling point of the Guy Ritchie film, certainly the first one, is like this is a much more physical Holmes, but it's all sort of supported by the text. Mm-hmm. You know, he he does box and fence and play single stick, or mm-hmm. do single stick. I don't know what what the appropriate verb to append to single stick. I don't is, even know what single stick is. So it's basically a it's basically a big wooden stick with a basket hilt, like a okay. like a you know like like a saber. And you basically face off against someone who also has one of these sticks, and you have to try and hit them on the head. Of course that's a sport that exists. <laughs> or existed. It's the great British pastime. Clouting each other with sticks. We've, we've been doing it since time immemorial. So, you know, so the Sherlock Holmes in Guy Ritchie's films is that more physical. So having a more physical Moriarty makes sense. And mm-hmm. I sort of know from doing you know from because uh, I, I used to do like martial arts and stuff mm-hmm. so i know that you do not have to be physically strong to fuck someone up oh sure all you all you really have to have an understanding of is anatomy and physics and like the application of forces like it the, there's there's no way to bring this up in conversation without sounding like a maniac but it takes surprising <laughs> it takes surprisingly little force to break a collarbone you know most mm-hmm. people could do it most people you know i think most people who've ever broken a collarbone have done it without trying like of another person, I mean, there's a lot of like people who die because they get punched. Because most people don't realize that if you punch someone, mm-hmm. you know, just hard enough in just the right place, you can kill them. I mean, Houdini learned that. Yeah. <laughs> Is Which... that true? Is that a thing? I'm pretty sure that's true, actually. Um, I'm consulting. Apparently, according to Conan Doyle's notes, he was uh, killed by demons. Yeah, um... actually, I Jackson and I talked about that not on an episode uh, about how. And maybe you'll know this. My knowledge of it is I don't have like evidence, but didn't Conan Doyle and Houdini fall out because Houdini refused, like, would not admit that he had real magic powers? Or is that just the story in quotes? Right. Here's the thing: if you tell your friend you're not a wizard and they keep going on about it, that's just bad manners. But I think if, I think it kind of came to a head where Conan Doyle took him like to see a medium or something, or there was like something involved, like something involved with a medium. And Conan Doyle's like, oh, you know, you, we've received this message from your mother from beyond the grave. Oh. And Harry Houdini's like, what was the message? And they tells him, it's like, right, my mother couldn't speak English. So 
you know, and well, then yeah, Conan Doyle's like, oh, but all languages are the same in the great beyond. So I can, I, you know, I can, I can see that getting boring after, I, I can see that great after a while. We've colonized heaven for the queen. There's actually, one of my favorite things in the Mary Russell books is Holmes gets so angry with Conan Doyle over something. I think it's, it's like sort of Conan Doyle going on, going off on one of his like spiritualist things and mm-hmm. Obviously, like Holmes and Conan Doyle both existing as real people in the setting, you know, and Holmes's name being so closely linked to Conan Doyle's, it's like mm-hmm. he does get to the point where he talks about like almost wanting to fist fight Conan Doyle in the street. <laughs> and Mary Russell has this like sort of humorous mental image of like two men in their sixties <laughs> punching each other in the street over fairies. I mean, now if if Conan Doyle had been talking about roses, then. Holmes would have been totally down for that. There is actually a point where, in the Mary Russell books, where they discuss the naval treaty, and Holmes actually says, "Is that the one where Watson inserted a lot of twaddle about a rose?" <laughs> I, I, I listened with particular interest when you guys brought that up, just because I was like, "Oh, Maddie will have a, a take on it." That <laughs> they've read many books, they'll know. It's spite, really. I think that's yeah. probably the, you know he thought he thought of a fun thing and he's like if I put it in the white company no one's gonna read it so fuck oh, it I'll yeah. put it in Sherlock Holmes. I mean we talk about in the Crooked Man uh, the the Daniel thing where Major Barclay's wife it keeps calling him Daniel and Holmes is like oh of course I should have reasoned immediately that she was talking about the Bible verse or the Bible story of Daniel and who sent uh, Bathsheba's husband away to be killed. And I immediately was like, okay, so that was basically, D- Doyle thought, hey, what if I made that a Sherlock Holmes story and then wasn't going to let the chance go by to be like, look how clever I was. <laughs> oh, yeah, that does, ha- God. See, that's the thing. It's like, because of like, you know, like I sort of, Sherlock Holmes kind of exists as like this like spaghetti in my head of like, of all oh, the different yeah. versions that I've sort of, take it on over the years i kind of can't remember what actually happens in the books and what doesn't you know in this story where this happens and i'll be like oh yeah that does it's all only fresh to me because we are editing and releasing season one and we've just finished recording (laughs) season two so like it's it's you know give me another like six months and i probably won't be able to chapter and verse it like i just did i do uh, one of my favorite things on studying granada is, is the game you play where you give jackson three unwritten cases of sherlock holmes but one of them's fake that's that's a fun thing that i that, that i've enjoyed we'll have to start doing that some more we we did switch to jackson's game of what was the mystery so like when watson brings up uh, like references a case we don't see um we do that in crooked man we we do what's the mystery we've done it i think twice in total there's one for the norwood builder but also it's a lot of me quickly googling like vague references they make to make sure those aren't actually references to stories that exist uh if you want i, I know the, there's there's a list on the internet of all you know where someone's actually gone through mm-hmm. some some nerd has gone through yeah. all the stories and just tabbed out like the various ones and it's like oh you know this is you know what could this be a reference to there's certain things that always like there's more famous ones there's like the giant rat of sumatra mm-hmm. <laughs> that comes up in a lot of things i am um, i actually i have a list online of like the the cases watson references but that never actually the ones that we see but we do not observe and uh-huh. um mostly it's just double checking like googling uh there's one about like the the great treasure of agra or something like that just googling that and sherlock holmes real quick to make sure that it's not part <laughs> of a real story and like like is not you'll usually find someone's written it up oh yeah i mean i look for like a, a specific like is it in the doyle canon if it's somebody else's then i don't care too much about 
I think doing our the, own take. The most interesting take on the giant rat of Sumatra that I ever saw was in a book called All Consuming Fire by Andy Lane, which is a Sherlock Holmes, H.P. Lovecraft, and Doctor Who crossover. Oh my and god! And the giant rat of Sumatra is this like weird, like tripedal alien rat that Holmes like goes and sees like fighting a pit bull somewhere because like there's aliens and they're like doing stuff with space and this rat came through that, I mean, that's I mean, that's an interesting book <laughs> i say we could have had you know jeremy brett john pertwee and somebody playing hp lovecraft fighting a giant three-legged alien rat on tv and <laughs> instead we got i don't know more cybermen or the autons or something they, they did they did do um a doctor who story where he was like in victorian london and he was dressed like sherlock holmes and there was a giant rat but there was also a lot of unfortunate racism, so yeah. we try not to talk about that one. Or if we do, we talk about how the fa- <laughs> we talk about how it was racist and why did they do that. Uh, that's pretty much the end of my list. I put the Granada series on here, but I mean, because I put that as number one because that's like my go-to Holmes thing. But I do have many hours of me talking at length about it. <laughs> on my own podcast that I guess only people in the US and Canada can get to. Uh which I will link to for those people. Yeah, I'm we're working on getting it on iTunes. I've I'm in pitched combat with iTunes to get it on there. So <laughs> if that doesn't work out, we'll try Spotify or uh YouTube even at some point, but we'll try to get it to you, all of you in the UK and beyond. You, YouTube's not a bad idea just in, just in terms for like accessibility. Yeah. Um but yeah, like as as I mentioned, it is it is my new favorite podcast, and because because the, the Granada series is very like special to me because it's my first, it's one of my first exposures to Sherlock Holmes. The other was, I think, a version of Hound of the Baskervilles starring Roland Rat, who was a who was a British children's TV character puppet rat. <laughs> um, yeah, don't, inter- I... don't interrogate it; it's not worth it. Don't, but... don't worry, I'm not going to. <laughs> uh... Oh, I see, Gr- Roland Rat, not good enough for you. No, I, I don't know who he is. I mean, it's it's like Andy <laughs> Griffith to you. It's I just, fine. I, yeah, see, it's cultural exchange. Growing up, I, when I was reading the stories, I was also then watching the Granada series. So as I say in the in the study in Granada, uh, like that's who I imagine Jeremy Brett and David Burke. They're what they look like in their voices when I read the stories like to this day. Like they mm. are Holmes and Watson to me. That's true for me as well. I, I do picture David Burke as Watson mostly because... Edward Hardwick looked a lot like my grandmother's sister, oh. but with a but with a mustache. So that <laughs> I, was always a that was always a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, growing up, I didn't like Edward Hardwick like as Watson, and I I don't know why. Like I I've told Jackson because we're getting into season three, which is when Edward Hardwick takes over as Watson, and I'm going to give him like benefit of the doubt on this. Like I'm going to do my best to give him a fair shake, and I think that like. Because I rewatched, a, I watched a bunch of season three episodes in a row just for fun recently before I would start taking notes, and I think that he makes me think too much of the sort of jolly oaf Watson that we get in a lot of takes, like the the Nigel Bruce one from yes. the uh, Basil Rathbone movies. Yeah, and where David Burke was the like he was in it, you know, sl- rolled up sleeves, he was ready to fight, he was ready to do this or that, and like, and also the meta that like. Uh, I think it's an apocryphal story that like Edward Hardwick told production that like he wanted more lines. And so like he wanted more of Holmes's lines. And so like, instead of, so, or so a lot of the 
smart things that Holmes normally said, some more of them were going to Watson. And while I talk at length in Granada about how much I like Watson being useful, it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth of like all of a sudden Watson's like very good at this and like making a lot of intense deductions. They did a reverse Ron Weasley. Yeah. <laughs> so the Harry Potter films take a lot of Ron's good character stuff and give it to Hermione. So they did the reverse for the Granada Sherlock Holmes. I like David Burke more just because he was a bit more he just he was a bit more robust. You could kind of mm-hmm buy that he'd been in the army i think which is you know which is silly because you know there's no sort of like physical soldier no, I mean, type but but he because he was a bit more sort of actiony maybe just because yeah. i saw him first you know what brains are like and that's that's also valid like i said i <laughs> i know but i just i i'm going to give edward hardwick a fair shake um he's never going to win the the facial hair contest because that's a pitiful mustache but <laughs> that that is possibly one of my favorite aspects of a study in Granada is the rating and competition of mustaches of facial hair. I, I kind of stole that. I listened a long time ago to a James Bond podcast where they started doing, they'd go through the movies and they started doing who's the most British person in this movie. <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't want to just steal that outright. And then as we started and we started with a skin of Bohemia who has the King of Bohemia, who has just a luxurious, mustache mutton chops combination so it's like of course we have to go with old facial hair like i vaguely remember that the guy that the the way that they had the character of jabez wilson in the Mm red-headed league made up in granada my sort of memory my recollection of his appearance is basically victorian dr robotnik yeah i mean that's fair and believe me we talk about him for (laughs) for it um by the time this comes out, we we've called it, we started calling it Must Clash, which is a name Jackson came up with. <laughs> Wonderful. We started that in Crooked Man, which comes out the Thursday after we're recording this, so it'll be out by the time anyone hears this. Um, <laughs> it will be out, but he he definitely gets talked about a lot in Must Clash. Um, <laughs> and a thing, speaking of the King of Bohemia, I didn't realize in a Game of Shadows, Wolf Kaler, who plays the King of Bohemia in a scandal in Bohemia for the Granada series is in A Game of Shadows as a character. He has a speaking part, and he sits and talks with Irene Adler. Rachel McAdams is Irene Adler <laughs> in the movie. Wow. That, okay. That's... Yeah, because he, he, I, I, remember, I remember his face in the Granada series, and it was very, like... He looked like a glazed ham with a mustache, but still That's handsome. Like very someone evocative. Had, someone had, like, carved a ham into the face of a handsome German prince. And then stuck a mustache in it. Uh, so Jackson and I were doing, just talking and being stupid and making jokes. And something about Holmes or Watson as Thor. <laughs> and that joke. And Jackson <laughs> made this and sent it to me. And it is legitimately my desktop background. <laughs> uh, for the listener, oh, it is my a God, scene. That's wonderful. Is a scene from the Marvel movie Infinity War in which. <laughs> David Burke's head has been photoshopped <laughs> over Thor, Jeremy Brett over Teenage Groot, and Wolf Kaler, the King of Bohemia, over Rocket Raccoon. Um, oh my god! <laughs> I'll, I will. I'm dying. I'll check with Jackson to make sure to see if they're cool with you posting this with the episode if you'd like, uh, <laughs> because it is beautiful work. Like it's, like I said, it is legitimately my desktop background and has been oh. f- since we started the study in Granada, which is like. <laughs> months and months ago now because it just brings me absolute joy i think 
that's the best thing I've ever seen. Well, I can't remember, like, I can't remember how we got started, but... Oh, it was, was um Was it something to do with the the problem of Thor Bridge? No, it doesn't, which is a great joke, first of all. <laughs> what happened was we had started the show and we were up to the solitary cyclist because I was watching Infinity War and Jackson and I were just like texting. And I made some joke about how Thor the where or Thor fucked up something. And I just texted like that, like a quick setup for that. And then the have, all father, have I really done remarkably badly? <laughs> and then Jackson texted back a picture of Odin with yes across the bottom or whatever. And then we got off on some tangent about whether or not Jeremy Br- or whether Sherlock would be Thor or Watson or whatever. And then like an hour later, Jackson was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I made this and just sent me this picture. <laughs> That's, that's definitely one of those things where it's like, this was in my head and I have to get it out and you have to... It's like the ring. Like, that you have to look at this and show it to... See, now, now I have to show someone else this. So yeah. Like I said, I'll check with Jackson. I think that they'd be cool with you posting this with the episode for the listeners, but... Well, now I'm afraid that if I don't, then, like, Jeremy Brett's gonna crawl out my laptop and kill me. Which, you know, not, not the worst way to go. Jackson and I all toyed with the idea of just emailing David Burke to see if he'd be a guest <laughs> for the final problem, knowing he'd say no. <laughs> We didn't. We ended up not doing it because, like, our our thought process was there is literally no way one that he'll ever see this email. Like, through some like slightly drunk googling, I think I found his agent's email address, <laughs> <laughs> and I told Jackson that because we had made a joke uh, at, during the Redheaded League episode that we were going to try, and and then we just said like, what's the harm in like just sending an email? So I was like, I'll do this tomorrow when I'm sober. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, okay, but like, let's assume pie in the sky. He says, yes, we're now on the hook for <laughs> scheduling, figure out how to get him to a place where he can record paying for all this stuff. And then the US UK time difference scheduling. And like, we agreed, like, even if we got our wish, it would be way too much logistical pain in the ass. So we didn't even try, but I mean, he's, he's a British actor, so you could probably get him for like the cost of a pint of beer. He is like 90. He'll work for beer money. Um, or gin. He's a, he, he's 84. I said That's, like 90. I mean, yeah, I rounded up to the nearest 90. How dreadfully imprecise. But yeah, that's my list. And like I said, I know you had a list of grievances. It wasn't sort of <laughs> desperately. It was more kind of, you know, all right, fine. Let's get into this. Oh, um, I just, I, you mentioned it like three times in Jackson's <laughs> episode about how you wanted to have a talk with me about some of the things I said. <laughs> I mean, all right. Yeah. Defend yourself. I was, when I was listening to A Scandal in Bohemia, mm-hmm. the conversation that you had about the topic of homes and love, like specifically right. r- romantic love, mm-hmm. I sort of have a different perspective from the one that you had. Which So wh- why don't you just very sort of quickly... Um, the, the case for the defense. Right. Which was that... Which part? Because I, I kind of... My opinion and argument kind of morphed a little bit. The idea that Holmes was in love with Irene Adler. Right. I don't think he was. I think that... I don't know if I... I don't think I said that. I thought so, it was It was out of respect. Like, a, she beat him. Yeah, I mean, that's what the thing. You you disagree with the idea that he was in love with Irene Adler. Oh, yeah. I don't think he was at all. I sort of approach it from the idea that Holmes would have been... Not like would have been, but like you, if you've a mind to, you can read Holmes as somewhere on, say, like the asexual spectrum mm-hmm. or the aromantic spectrum. I sort of think... My sort of sort of view of Holmes is that he's um, grey romantic, which he doesn't often experience romantic love, but he mm. can. And I think that it's my sort of view of Holmes is that he has so little experience with romantic love sure. that it that it's possible he did love Irene Adler, but he didn't 
have the sort of cerebral vocabulary to really understand that that's what it was. Did we touch on that? I think we, we, it may not have made the the cut, but I think that Jackson and I did entertain a possi- something to that effect as well that I, I've sort of come around on. Like my, my take is, I, and I told Jackson this, and I think I said the episode is a lot. Some of my takes are ingrained in, 20 plus years of pouty no this is it like <laughs> like this is Holmes this is what the story says this is Holmes and like I'm I'm kind of shedding some of those as we're doing the show and like I'm getting older and reading and interrogating the text more so I'm I'm open to the idea that like maybe he didn't understand what this feeling was uh, I was uh, talking to uh, someone that I'm um so some someone that someone that I'm mutuals with on Twitter mm. uh, is uh, one of one of my favorite authors, uh, Kat Sebastian, who writes mm-hmm. um, Regency romance books. And I think I was like having a conversation with her, and we were talking about this idea that like Holmes and Raffles, who is um, sort of the gentleman thief character created by Arthur Conan Doyle's <laughs> brother-in-law, mm. to be the kind of like criminal Sherlock Holmes, but not in a sort of severe way. He just steals mm-hmm. things. Right. And I sort of entertain the idea that Holmes had like Holmes lost his virginity to Raffles when he was at university. Like Raffles was like around the campus mm-hmm. and embarked on this kind of you know ha- they basically basically had a fling with the young Sherlock Holmes. And at the time, Holmes couldn't sort of really understand because like because he obviously had an attraction to Raffles, but also like his like nascent crime fighter abilities were like pinging in his head but he didn't have Mm -hmm. the sort of frame of reference to understand that that's what it was and it was probably only years later that he sat up in bed and went oh god damn it that guy was stealing things sure who do i tell do i tell anyone i probably shouldn't tell them we had sex like obviously like that that's the kind of one of the good things about a character like sherlock holmes in terms of like he is a he is in a lot of ways is a blank slate, especially in terms of like you know there have been like asexual and gay and trans mm-hmm. sort of interpretations of Holmes because there's you know the leeway is there for it to, to exist. The idea that like Holmes and Irene like when it comes to Holmes and Irene Adler, if you look at like the BBC Sherlock, that's an example of where I think they don't handle it very well. No. One, one Irene Adler loses. Fuck you, Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Two. It's this weird kind of, she's, oh, she's so attracted to Sherlock Holmes and that's her downfall. And they sneak off and do sex. Ooh. The, there's, in The Improbable Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, um, one of my favourite stories in it is by Naomi Novik, whose books I enjoy, like Uprooted. And um, she wrote the Temeraire series, which is hmm. the Napoleonic Wars without dragons. I've heard um, of those. Those are very good. Uh, she wrote a story that is um, Irene Adler realizes that Sherlock Holmes has faked his own death and goes and finds him, and just basically goes, "Dude, you're right." <laughs> she goes and finds him in Tibet, having wizard duels with Moriarty. If only. No, I think he's in Paris. Um, and they do have some sex, but it's more sure. kind of it's more kind of like you know it, it's fra- framed as being a kind of thing of like mutual respect, and also you know mm-hmm. she is genuinely worried about him. And the reason that it stick- sticks in my mind is there's a sort of bit in the in the narration, the sort of the Irene Adler is wondering, are him and Watson a thing? Mm. And the way that it, the way that it's put is really it's put in such a beautiful way, and it's always kind of stuck with me. Is that she decides that he and Watson have never sort of done anything together because. Mm-hmm. She thinks Watson would cross that Rubicon for Holmes, 
but having once crossed it, would never consent to be separated from him again. And I think that's quite nice. And that's also kind of like my perception of their relationship now. It's like, it's not so much that they were they were gay and they were a couple. It's that had they existed in a different time and place, they could have been. And that's sort of the strength, the strength of their friendship is such that it kind of doesn't really ever come up as an issue. Watson probably had some confusing dreams, let's put it like that. At this point, I want to point out that Jackson is definitely punching the air in victory many, many times because <laughs> that is a an element of the story that uh, we, we talk about a decent amount and that Jackson has not hazarded a guess at, but has point, like brought up the intimacy in the stories or in the show also of, of the two of them. That's something that I really liked in in the episode for a scandal in Bohemia. That, and it, it's it's something that you know that that you that you two actually do discuss in the episode is that of like Holmes taking off his disguise in front of Watson and he's like sort of taking his his makeup mm-hmm. off. And the word that sort of sprung to mind when I was listening to that and sort of thinking about the scene because I you know that I remember watching is mm-hmm. there's a domesticity to it, mm-hmm. like someone taking off their makeup in front of their partner at the end of the day. It's like there's lots of scope for that in Holmes' stories, where especially ones where he's living with Watson. We talk about that a little bit in Crooked Man because they basically have a lover spat and about <laughs> how how Watson has utterly failed in his mission of getting more information uh, on the solitary cyclist. Or no, we, we talked about the solitary cyclist, didn't we? I, I just listened to that one before we did this. Again, I re-listened to it. I re-listened to it yesterday, and that's why it's fresh in my mind. We talk about that in the solitary cyclist. I still don't think I believe that take on it, but that's, I mean, I'm not going to like shut you down. I think there is textual <laughs> evidence that, that it could be read that way. I've just, that's a, uh, to use your phrase, that's a Rubicon I, I haven't crossed yet of <laughs> starting to read into it that much. Uh, it, it's... It's just one of those things. It's there if you've a mind to look for it. Like in the in the same way that my favorite Shakespeare play is Twelfth Night, and mm-hmm. has been since I was nine years old. And sort of looking back on it now, it's like there was obviously some like transgender feeling going on there. Mm-hmm. But it's like there there are you know there are transgender readings of Twelfth Night if you have a mind to look for them. They were absolutely not intended by the author, but you know it, it's it's less about sort of the author's intent and more about ways that engaging with fiction is an individual experience and uh, you know mm-hmm. everyone's experiences are different so everyone's and everyone brings their own experiences to media when you know everyone has like a different frame of reference for things or everyone's experiences can remind them of different things so it's not one of those things it's like i'm not gonna hound anyone into the sea for not saying that sherlock holmes and dr watson are gay and totally doing cuddles and kisses but at the same time it's like if someone was like dead set against that i'd ask them to you know maybe interrogate i'm mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is your position but if right. i have i have met people who are absolutely dead set against the idea of holmes and watson having a romantic relationship and i've always you know encouraged them to examine why they feel that way yeah like i said i i i don't take that particular read but i acknowledge that the there is textual the the, the text is presented in ways that like that isn't an invalid read of the text you you can you can find sort of prefer, you know for profit fan fiction to su- to support sort of whichever view that you happen to to take it's you know that, that that's kind of the nice thing about fiction is that you know it's it's you know it's like stories being shared and everyone's experiences are different so everyone's 
reactions are different and so someone can talk about the way that their experiences impact how they read a story and you know it'll bring it'll give you a perspective that you haven't previously had that's one reason i love doing the show with jackson also is one the um idea that they've never really read the stories before or seen the show and so it's a completely fresh set of eyes and jackson and i have very different experiences coming in and takes on things and jackson has more than once and even like my dad has said jackson has brought up points where it's like oh you know what i never thought of that before that's interesting and like then that's one thing i love about doing this show with jackson is that i'm on top of myself rereading and finding new takes and new things i never noticed before and new thoughts jackson is also bringing to the table some like just new a new set of eyes with a different uh read that i think has led to interesting conversations, just not in the Naval Treaty, because that is a very boring <laughs> one. Right. Th- that kind of leads into the sort of second note that I made when I was what- mm-hmm. when I was uh, listening to this episode on Scandal in Bohemia, because you actually bring up something that I'd never considered before, which is part of the story is that Holmes is in disguise and he ends up witnessing Irene Adler's wedding. <laughs> yeah. And you made the point, like, did he use a fake name to sign... You know, because obviously, if you mm-hmm. witness a wedding, you have to sign the register, the, right? The, the license, yeah. There's a marriage certificate or something you have to mm-hmm. sign. It's like, did he sign it, Sherlock Holmes? And if he didn't, does that render their mar- marriage invalid, legally invalid? Right. Not oh yeah, of course. And here's the thing that I- I'd never considered that before. So I, already, I hadn't considered it until the words came out of my mouth. Like two seconds before <laughs> I said that, my brain went, "Wait a minute, did Hang he use a, a fake minute. name?" In the Irene Adler sitcom, that's it's sure to come, the fun episode where, oh no, we're not really married. Um, oh, you know I Dream of Jeannie, but you don't know Andy Griffith? Of course I know I Dream of Jeannie. I have a classical education. Apparently um, not. <laughs> look, I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched, they used to show those on Channel 4 in the mornings during the school holidays. So, I, I have a frame of reference for that. But anyway... We're getting off the point. Um, I never considered the idea of like Holmes, like what with what name did he sign the red the the document sure. that he when he witnessed the wedding. And here's the thing, here's here's what I because because when I was when I've been listening to a study in Granada, mm-hmm. I'm sort of playing along at home and thinking mm-hmm. about various. Oh things, sure, which I think is is one of the main sort of sources of fun for a podcast like a study in Granada. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's something that you do have a familiarity with. And here's what I would have put to you if I'd been on the call. Sure. What makes you think that Sherlock Holmes is his real name? That's a very good point. Because mm. here's the thing. the uh, If you read Sherlock Holmes of Baker Street by uh, William S. Baring Gould, which is the quote-unquote official biography of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. it sort of posits in that that Holmes and uh, Sherlock and Mycroft are sort of from a titled background where like their father was like a country squire gotcha which like isn't very very high up in the hierarchy of you know the dungeons and dragons melange that we have populating (laughs) the british isles right but it's like it's not inconceivable to think that holmes would have adopted a pseudonym to be a detective because it would have been seen as very insalubrious you you can imagine his father with an absolutely gigantic mustache saying to him if you must go and do your detective work then you will not bring shame to the fox murderer name or whatever it was that they were called probably fox murderer 
Yeah. Like, Sherlock Holmes, that sounds like a fake name. I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean, Mycroft who... Holmes, too. Like, Yeah. And, like, again, it works for Mycroft because his whole thing was that he was, like, running the British Empire behind the scenes. So it's not, you know, Mycroft Holmes could have maybe been a sort of suit. You know, like how there's the there's the theory that James Bond is a code name that's given yeah. to 007 operatives. Maybe Mycroft Holmes was the name of, the, you know, the government's chief spymaster. And so he was like, he, so Sherlock's brother was the incumbent Mycroft Holmes. And so Sherlock was like, well, I'll be a Holmes as well. And I'll be, I think the name Sherlock actually comes from a cricketer. So it's, you know, it's not inconceivable to think that, you know, in universe, Holmes could have gotten the name the same way that Conan Doyle did. Sure. That's an interesting thing. Sherlock Holmes and Jeeves, both named after cricketers. There you go. Yeah. Like I, I tweeted this and I know that you saw it. I, I'm mad that I don't know more about Jeeves and Wooster because I came up with two great names for <laughs> a podcast of Adam. And like one of them was Ask Jeeves, obviously. <laughs> and then the second one was based off of a podcast network called Rooster Teeth, and it was Wooster Teeth. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it, have and do it, and have me on, and I can talk about my head canon that Jeeves is Merlin, and well, Bertie is the reincarnation of King Arthur. When oh my god! Well, first of all, that's just a thing that we'll have to sit down and talk about one day, but. uh <laughs> I can link you to a Tumblr post. Maybe when Jackson and I finish the 40 episodes of the Granada <laughs> series, if we decide to do something else, we can move on to that. Or I feel like it would only be fair to let Jackson pick the next thing. <laughs> there is the um, uh, Jeeves and Worcester series starring um, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. I've seen the first few episodes of that. Uh, when I moved into my first apartment, I was right next door to a library and I didn't have internet and I couldn't get their internet for my apartment. So I rented a lot of DVDs from them and they had those weirdly. So I watched a number of those. Um, that's my really only familiarity with the with the series. I think I bu- downloaded some of the free Kindle books off Amazon one day, but I haven't gotten to them yet. If you read the if you read any Jeeves books and like them, you should read. Woodhouse also wrote uh, some detective novels starring a character called Smith, which is spelled P S M I T H. I might actually and, have a few of those as well. That yeah, I for those, free. those are very good, and those are kind of like you know, as sort of a lot of detective fiction was very influenced mm-hmm. by Sherlock Holmes because like Smith has like a handbook for detection. And there's a thing where like, he's, he's looking at like, I think he's like following like someone who's like a plumber or a bricklayer. And the guy's like wearing his like best suit because it's Sunday and he's just been to church and mm-hmm. he's like sitting in his garden and he's reading the complete works of Shakespeare. And Smith gets out his like detectives manual and he's like, <laughs> yeah, it says here, a plumber would be unlikely to dress well and enjoy Shakespeare. Who is he really? You know, it's like, it's that kind of... Sure. It's almost like Poirot meets Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> yeah. There's a thing, this is vaguely Sherlockian, but, um, or Holmesian. There's a book series by an author named Jasper Ford, and it's the Thursday Next series. Are you familiar with Oh yeah, I love with? those. I love, I, I've been going through them too. There's the, in the book world, jurisdiction where somebody's killed Sherlock Holmes in the final problem and everybody's like, oh no. And like, I just love that. They, that's like the one book series they can't get into. Like no one's figured out a path into the Sherlock Holmes canon. Except for Thursday's Uncle Mycroft who invented the prose portal. Oh, that's right. Right, right. I haven't finished the series yet. So, but I, 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 that's in the first one. So that's. I, I sort of, I was introduced to the Smith series and that sort of thing in particular, mm. because um, one of my favorite books when I was in school was Feet of Clay by Terry Pratchett, okay. which is part of his Discworld series. And it's one of the watch books. And those were like fantasy police procedurals. And there's a quote that I've just looked up 
and th- this is kind of what I wish there was more of in Sherlock Holmes fiction, but I understand mm-hmm. why there isn't. The main character is Sam Vimes. He's like an old school policeman who's come from a working class background and has kind of like overhauled the police in the city that he lives in into like a functional entity because he mm-hmm. was like for years he was an alcoholic and he ended up getting married to you know one of the sort of highest ranking society ladies mm-hmm. who um who breeds uh swamp dragons and um, as you do as as one does a lot of like the book the, the the watch books tend to be from his point of view and get his like perspective on you know crime because obviously as someone who's come from a working class background he's been around crime a lot and you know then sort of being a policeman is like his kind of like whole thing it's it, it's a whole thing but there's one there's one passage in from feet of clay that really sort of stuck out to me and sort of made me examine sherlock holmes in a in a different way mm-hmm. that i never had before and i've got the quote here and uh, sam vimes who's the ma- who's the main character is like vimes dreamed about clues he had a jaundiced view of clues clues has a capital c by the way in this sentence mm-hmm. he instinctively distrusted them they got in the way and he distrusted the kind of person who take one look at another man and say in a lordly voice to his companion ah my dear sir i can tell you nothing except that he is a left-handed stonemason who has spent some years in the merchant navy and has recently fallen on hard times and then unroll a lot of supercilious commentary about calluses and stance and the state of a man's boots when exactly the same comments could apply to a man who was wearing his old clothes because he'd been doing a spot of home bricklaying for a new barbecue pit, had been tattooed once when he was drunk and 17, and in fact got seasick on a wet pavement. What arrogance! What an insult to the rich and chaotic variety of human experience. Good. Um, That's one of my favourite quotes, and it's also the kind of... I I kind of do want that to crop up some more in Sherlock Holmes fiction. Maybe the Holmes and Watson movie will have that. (laughs) Uh, and again, that goes back. Watson is unlikely to ever have written up a case where Holmes got it like completely wrong. Yeah, like that's a thing that Jackson has brought up that I've I've started to wonder about as well. Of like, I kind of wish that we had at least one more where he gets beaten <laughs> than we do. Like, I mean, I don't know. It'd just be interesting, even if like later he figured it out or something. Like in the moment, they got away, and then like months later he's like oh of course now i figured it out or whatever like, or even or even if someone would just sort of say what a smug creep he was being yeah <laughs> well i kind of feel like i've kept you here for far longer than i was oh no I it's think, fine that i think either of us was, was expecting to no so, it's been a good time i i haven't minded at all <laughs> have you got anything else um looking through my notes i have just a note that uh i'll be christy's second defending adam west batman if she's ever called to a duel about it yeah the 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 line will start immediately after me because that's I fine also, i'll be i i'll be the third i guess that <laughs> makes me batgirl <laughs> there are worse things to be i mean that, yeah, that's fair batgirl was the first superhero i ever wanted to be because she was a superhero a librarian and she had a motorbike and a wig you know. um and yeah these are the things that are important to you when you're like five and deeply closeted there's a note i have here also uh when you guys when you talk about Gotham by Gaslight, did you specifically ever watch the movie, like the animated version, or did you just read the comic? Uh, I've only read the comic. Um, I know, I know the movie exists, but it's got that kind of like DC animated superhero style, sure. and it kind of turns me off. And it's like because the original artwork was done by Mike Mignola, who's probably most oh, famous man. now for, for create, yeah, for creating Hellboy, and he's got such distinct 
like such a distinctive, such a sort of personal style that was really like evocative for the story because mm-hmm. he does some incredible work with shadows in his work and it all takes place like under gaslight which wasn't the most illuminative of things oh, and no. also there was like fog and coal dust everywhere but the movie just looks like, oh it's just one of those well i bring it yeah. up because when bruce is in jail and he get he needs to get word to alfred or whatever selena shows up to talk to him and he says Basically, uh, as one of my mentors once said, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, no matter how improbable, must be the truth, which is the Sherlock Holmes line. But then <laughs> he like turns around and, and she's talking to him and he's writing down some note. And when he hands it to her, you can clearly see it's written in The Dancing Men, uh, which I, I I was very pissed off that they that it was like, oh, I was trained by Sherlock Holmes, which I don't know why at the time. It just really rubbed me the wrong way. But once it was The Dancing Men, I texted Jackson in all caps, The Dancing Men! <laughs> Which at the time Jackson hadn't watched any of this or any of the stories, so Jackson didn't know who the, what the dancing men were. But... <laughs> wow, I bet that was a fun, I bet that was a fun text to get apropos. Of nothing. Oh, it was in the middle of a very long live stream <laughs> of Gotham by Gaslight. But all right, so that's slightly less terrifying. <laughs> I didn't just randomly at like one in the morning text Jackson in all caps the dancing men. It's like what? Where do I do I need to do anything about them? What's happening? I showed up? I showed up at their house high on cocaine, <laughs> doing semaphore in the garden. <laughs> Yelling, we're rare to meet that go. That is a thing we need to talk about, is you stealing our sign-off line, because <laughs> you won't know this because you haven't listened to Equalizers yet, but Madison and I uh, are experts at podcast law, and <laughs> you didn't s- submit any of the paperwork in triplicate. You'll never take me alive, Flatfoot. But you know what? You, you, you just said it then, so if I wanted to, I could end the episode right after you said it, and it's happened twice. See, that's you've fair. said it. You've said it on the podcast. That's like, yeah, I know. That's that's, like, that's legal. No, that's fine. That's legal. Like, if <laughs> if we say it on your podcast, it's fine. I guess Jackson did say it. So yeah. See, you can't touch me. Or I was too busy doing like I was too busy with my two editions of Sherlock Holmes doing like l- like chin ups because I figured <laughs> this was going to be much more of a fight. I was getting into shape. Maybe I'm. Maybe you know. I mean, I've got your Skype information now. I could just if I wanted yeah. to. At like two in the morning, it's like demand that you defend your opinions of the guy from the Naval Treaty. By next October, we'll have <laughs> season two and three out, so you'll have plenty of. Uh, plenty of ammunition for i i could pro- i could probably assemble quite a list of grievances and i might well it goes without saying that we would love to have you on uh studying granada when we come back run i mean we just finished season two we're gonna take a little break but we would love to have you come on as an actual expert i don't know if i'm comfortable with the, with expert well i mean i'm i'm not I'm, here's the thing i'm not used to managing people's expectations of me people but i i try to pro- i try to as much as possible project like the impression that people should not expect things of me and that's oh, so you're out... columbo yeah that's worked out pretty well for me so far i have the you know i have the tactics of columbo but not the brilliance of columbo <laughs> but also the dress sense of columbo so it kind of balances out all right then we'll 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 rephrase that we'd love to have you on as a more knowledgeable fan than i i mean i'm just hearing that like we would like our podcast to have one episode where it is objectively worse and you know if that's <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, it's your podcast. If that's what you want to do, I certainly can't stop you. You haven't listened to all the episodes. You don't know it'll be objectively the worst. <laughs> How dare you say that about my new favorite podcast? <laughs> now, all right, now we're gonna now we're gonna fight. This this is gonna run for another hour. Uh, no, <laughs> we're coming up in two hours, and I kind of feel bad because it was. Yeah, it's it's all right. We're it's fine. It's been a great time. I haven't. We talked a lot about gin. That was fun. <laughs> I mean, I've had a simply wonderful time. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably. Uh, sure. an apt juncture to end things so 
plug plug your things again. The things that you do. Right. So um, we have a study in Granada, which is on Google Play. Uh, I'm trying. I think I'll probably just go ahead and start putting it on YouTube as well for people outside the U.S. and Canada, so that at least you've also recently did a Twitter for it, which I will link. Yes, to. which is yeah at in underscore Granada because that was the only one I could get um, <laughs> as the at. But I will, if you're listening to this and you're interested and you're outside the U.S. or Canada, try checking YouTube. They should be up by now. Uh, if I get it on iTunes before this airs, I'll email you, Maddie, and see if maybe you'll just put in the, yes, it's on iTunes now. Absolutely. Um, uh, Equalizers, another podcast where we take movies that didn't get a sequel and we come up with typically very dumb ones. Um, you can find it everywhere you find podcasts, and we spell it E-Q-U-E-L-I-Z-E-R-S, like in sequel. Uh, that's Because fuck search engine yeah. optimization. And honestly, though... Search for search engine optimization. Uh, <laughs> we're that on everything: Twitter, Facebook, Brilliant. Tumblr, whatever. No one apparently, no one wants a Tumblr <laughs> or Instagram where you misspell the word equalizer. So <laughs> we got at equalizers on everything. Clever. Like, but before before I did um, Charlottesville last year, I went through and it's like, has anyone done a thing called Charlottesville before? And they had, and all of them had done it with a K. And <sighs> I so. So I did it without. It's like because the portmanteaus are like, you know, you just anyway. No, I'm with you. The, I'm it's, drifting. But, the joke um, is better without the K. Uh, and also, I couldn't see that anyone else. I, I I was briefly flirting with the idea of calling it Charlottoberfest, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm in recovery for uh, alcoholism, so I thought that's probably not helpful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow, that got real. So. Uh, Mike, thank you again for coming on. I've, thank you I've for had, having me. I've had an excellent time. If you do I ever, well. if if you do ever decide that you do want just the worst ever study in Granada to happen, I am entirely at your disposal. Um, I mean, we'll pick. We'll maybe we'll we'll try to find one where not a lot happens, and then you can wax eloquently <laughs> about uh, fan like fan fiction or other books where they cover <laughs> stuff about this, and we can we can salvage something interesting from from a boring to- one. I mean, the second stain is coming up in season three, and that's <laughs> while while a singular problem, not necessarily the most blood pumping. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I mean, it's like, no it's... the Musgrave ritual, which is <laughs> just action packed. The the idea of even comparing them turns my stomach. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, do if you can do listen to a study in Granada because I can't I can't oversell how much I'm enjoying it. Because you know it's it's a show that means a lot to me. Um, I I love Jackson's perspective on everything. I've enjoyed getting Mike's Mike's perspective on things, and I can't wait to sort of get. I can't wait to get to my week off when I will just like put on the equalizers and just deep clean my house while it's happening. Just, just do not start with Beetlejuice two. That's the only. <laughs> I that one is it is a great episode and it is wild, a wild time, but it is. Like we we call I call it our Moonraker where we just went way like we went way too far in in the silly direction. Start somewhere so, else and get and watch that one. Like listen to that one after you've gotten a feel for what the show is. Because okay, so what you're saying is that if I start with Beetlejuice two, it, it'll all be downhill from there. I I mean I I don't want to spoil my pitch. My pitch is that it's the worst <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever pitched for that show. Um, and our second episode is called Space Jam Two: The Order of the Phoenix. So. <laughs> Wow, I might just listen. I might just listen to them in order. Um, yeah, that's that's probably a safe bet. Okay, well, this has been Shell October, a most irregular podcast. This is this is rounding out 
Sherlock October 2018. And yes, this episode's happening in November, but I'm afraid you're all just going to have to be grown-ups and deal with that. Mike, I hope uh, you'll jo- I hope you'll join me next year for I'd love to. my my laundry list of grievances with your opinions <laughs> about the the Granada Sherlock Holmes. Um, so, um, Mike, thank you again for coming on. And, thank you. Uh, could could you close us out with? Can, can I appropriate your sign off one more time? Yeah, sure. We're rare to meet thy go.